enjoying slowly but surely working our way through some of the accounts of the patriarchs. And we looked at Ishmael, spent some time with Isaac and Rebecca, a little bit in the last study. And what I want to do this evening is look at another person by the name of Jacob and try to pay attention to some of the intrigues of his family. Now, in particular, we're calling this trouble at Jacob's house. But maybe we can learn a few things and maybe see a few things we'd never thought about before. And we hope that God can speak to all of our hearts about how we're living right now. So let's have a word of prayer. Father, again, it is our privilege to be able to look into your scripture. We know the word of God is inspired. It's infallible and inerrant. And we pray as we look into this word tonight, you'd minister to every one of our hearts. Help us to see clearly the beauties of our redemption in light of all that Christ did at the cross. At the same time, help us to learn from what happened in the lives of these figures so that we can be better Christians as we walk with you in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, One thing I am convinced of in looking at all of this with close uh, detail is that a lot of the things that happened in their lives, the Lord later on tells Moses to tell the children of Israel, let's not do that again and avoid that and stop that. And it's not allowed. We finished by talking about Jacob's relationship with Esau and how despite his fear of Esau, the reconciliation was completed and they had a very good relationship, it seems, toward the end. He was afraid, but there was no reason to be afraid. In Genesis 35, notice in verse 1, after that relationship there seems to come to uh, some kind of a happy conclusion, the Lord said to Jacob, arise and go to Bethel and dwell there. Now, Bethel is the place where the Lord has spoke to him on his trip to modern-day Iraq and its region. And then it says in verse 2 that Jacob said to his household, put away all those that are with him, put away the strange gods that are among you, and be clean and change your garments, and let's arise and go to Bethel. So obviously, whatever these people knew about the God of Abraham, it, the knowledge was fairly slender. I mean, it was slight. They didn't know a whole lot at all. But yet, these are the people that Abraham wanted his sons of the promise to be associated with. But yet they still had this mixture of stuff. And you've probably seen people who have that. There's a little bit of Christianity. Then you go to Haiti. Then there's a little bit of mixture of that with witchcraft. You go to Africa, you'll see people, they mix Christianity. Then there's a little bit of those tribal religions. Now, I don't want you to be under the impression that God is happy with a mixture at all. Uh, God is interested in purity. And he's interested in holiness, and this is why I think Jacob has to tell these folks, look, we've got to deal with this. And so in verse 4, they gave him their strange gods. Now, that's a, that is a strange god. If you can give them away, he's not worth having. Yeah, if you can carry your god around in your pocket, 
then why in the world do you need it? You don't need a rabbit's foot. You don't need a four-leaf clover and anything like that. And then you can also see all the things that were in their hand, uh, their earrings, which were in their ears, and so on and so forth. And Jacob hid them under the oak. Now, obviously, God wasn't telling them that jewelry was a sin. Because later on, when they built the tabernacle, you'll remember the people were taking off the jewelry that they had and gave it to the Lord for the building of that. However, it says that the terror of God was upon the region around about as the sons of Jacob traveled. And Jacob, he ended up prospering in this area because this is where God told him he was to be. And the last promise that Jacob made to the Lord as he was on his way fleeing from his brother was, if you bring me back safely... I'll give you a tenth of everything. And Jacob had been faithful. The Lord appeared to him. And in verses 10, Jacob receives a name change. Name change. And in verse 11, the Lord tells him he's going to be fruitful. He's to multiply. And this is exactly what he did. Two times in this chapter, Jacob built a pillar as a reminder to him and to others of the appearance of God and of his relationship with other people. So everything's going fine. And of course, when things are going well, this is when the devil wants to get busy. Well, look at verse 21. Israel journeyed, spread his tent beyond the tower of Edar, and it came to pass when Israel dwelt in that land that Reuben, his oldest son, went and lay with Bilhah, his father's concubine. How many of you know that's bad? That's very bad. Reuben was the son of Leah, firstborn son of Leah, the one Jacob did not want, the one that the scripture says Jacob hated intensely. The woman that he loved was Rachel. She died giving birth to Benjamin. You can see in the same chapter, verse 18, as Rachel was dying, she named her son Benoni, that is the son of my sorrow. But Jacob changed his name to Benjamin, Benjamin, because in Arabic and in Aramaic and in Hebrew, Yamin is the right or right head. Yasar is the left. So he changed his name. He did not want this child to be forever a memory of that sorrow. But Rachel died. And what better way for the oldest son or the firstborn son to kind of get back at dad for the way mama has been treated than for him to get with the nurse or the maid who's now legally the wife of Jacob, and that's Bilhah. She was Rachel's, Rachel's nurse or Rachel's maid but Jacob's wife. And the scripture says, Israel heard of it. I, I guarantee that broke his heart to think that his son would sleep with his wife. Now, this, this is how convoluted and mixed up so much of this is. I could tell you all kinds of stories of terrible trouble in homes where there's so much sin and iniquity that you have children sleeping with the parents 
Some of you probably remember the uh, the show. I'm not even sure I can even remember the name of it now. But it was a sitcom back in the 70s that was quite popular. And I forget the name of the young lady who was on there, but it came out later when she was having all her problems with drugs and all of that, that this young lady's dad carried on a relationship with her from the time she probably was eight until she was 22 or 23. Terrible, see, absolutely terrible. Wrecked her life because of it. But when you look at verses 23 on down, and it gives us the descendants of Jacob, his sons, we could probably spend a, a lesson on each one of these. When I talk about trouble in the house, folks, there's trouble in all of these. The first one slept with his wife. The next two murdered nearly half the men in a village because of what they did to a daughter who was sexually assaulted because she was out visiting the daughters of the land and just wanted to see what was going on and so on and so forth. The rest of them sold Joseph as a slave in chapter 37. This was not the happiest of homes, yet Jacob still had a covenant with God. And you can see just because you have a covenant with God, that doesn't mean you won't have difficulties. You'll have difficulties if the other people won't honor that covenant. They had no Bible. Whatever kind of manuscripts they could have possibly had wouldn't have been as numerous as the number of Bibles that you have in your house. So that means all they really had were the oral transmit, orally transmitted stories from Abraham, Isaac, see? and now here we are with Jacob. And going back even further to Noah and to, to Adam. With all of those stories, if you hear them enough that you have a covenant with God. And you're a child of promise. There'll be people that believe it, but there'll be other people that take it for granted and say, does this really matter? How has this changed our life? And how many times have kids said that when it comes to mom and dad's relationship with God? This is your relationship with God. This isn't mine. You're the one that's really fascinated with the king. I'm not as excited about God as you are. A lot of parents have heard that. Yeah. I'm not saying that makes it right. I'm just saying this is what some have had to deal with. Verse 27, Jacob came to Isaac, his father. So this was before Isaac died. I guarantee Jacob was glad to sit and talk with dad, confer with him about things taking place in his family. Who do you go to when you got fire in your house like this and your oldest boy has done what he's done? Well, in chapter 36, you can see this chapter is about the generations of Esau. Notice that the blessing of Isaac became true because in verse 6, Esau took his wives, his sons and daughters and the persons of his house, his cattle and beasts and all his substance which he had got. And he went out into the country away from the face of his brother. The blessing said... When you increase and the yoke no longer fits your neck, you'll no longer be under the dominion of your brother. So verse 7 tells us the land wasn't large enough to bear all of them and their cattle. Now, I don't know the figures on this. I, I would assume one cow certainly would need a little bit more pasture in this part of Nebraska. 
And I'm sure that one cow would probably need a little bit more pasture in the sand hills or somewhere. But if you don't have enough land, but you've got a whole lot of cattle, then quite naturally it's going to have to be some separation. So this is what the scripture is telling us. Esau had become so blessed of God and prospered through the relationship or the covenant that he had with God and the blessing of his dad, that verse 8, he had an entire region of Mount Seir that was connected with him. So all of Obadiah, that little small book, concerns itself with Esau's descendants. That one book. But here's the thing. If you follow Esau's lineage through the rest of this chapter, starting particularly with verse 15, you'll see the word dukes in the Old English. Dukes. Now, what is a duke and what makes a duke different from a prince? Well, in Old English, and certainly in England, a duchy is a region of land or territory that is under the dominion and power of someone who has the hereditary rights to be in charge of that. And the duke is the one who is the highest person who's in that particular, particular lineal descent. The duke is slightly less than the prince, but many dukes have become princes and kings if the princes fell out of line. The reason the distinguish, they distinguish between Esau's line here and then Jacob's line is because they wanted you to see that the blessing that he had was great, but yet it still was slightly less than what Jacob's, Jacob's sons and daughters ended up with. And this is why you have one duke after another. They all had their assigned territories, and verse 43 says it. According to their habitations, in the land of their possession. So here's where we are now in chapter 37. This is the chapter that deals with Joseph. Jacob dwelt in the land wherein his father was a stranger in the land of Canaan. Now Genesis 36 and 2 tells us Esau took his wives of the daughter of Canaan. Again, I'm convinced that the things that went on in the patriarch's family is why later on Moses was told by God to tell the children of Israel, you marry someone in covenant with me. You marry someone in covenant with me. And we'll keep all of these blessings in the midst of these particular tribes of the promised land. Rachel gave birth to Joseph. We looked over the name there. Verse 2 of chapter 37 says Joseph is 17 years of age now. Now, 17 years later, these are when these events take place. 17 years, that's a good amount of time. Yeah, that's a kid going from head start right on up through high school. And Joseph, like his dad and granddad and so forth, was a shepherd And you can see he was feeding the flock with his brothers. The lad was with the sons of Bilhah and with the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. So he had some brothers that weren't the best. Yeah. 
Now, there are plenty of parents who have never liked one of their children to be the tattletale. But then there are some parents who kind of like to know what's going on when they're not around, you see. And if, if Joseph is bringing the evil report, then, I mean, these guys must have been getting into some pretty reckless stuff and had pretty bad behavior. Were any of you ever tattletales when you were younger? I know I was. I couldn't wait to tell. But but the tattletale, of course, is the the person going to keep mom and dad informed because they're looking to collect some brownie points. If I tell this, then that'll be fine. Now, you don't have anybody to blame if you're the only kid. My wife was the only kid. So that that's trouble. But verse 3 says, Israel loved Joseph more than all his children. So now we have favoritism, and I know that'll produce trouble in the house. And if you don't believe that children have perceptions about who the favored child is, wait till they get older and they tell you about it. They will tell you. They will tell you. My mom and pops heard about it all the time. I told you when I'd come home from the military, they'd have them big feasts for me. And my brothers and them were getting mad and upset. I don't understand why you got to make all this food and bring all the family home just because Daryl is coming. See? Yes, you're, you're a preacher. Little black Jesus is coming home. And so you, you just want to do all of this <laughs> for him. That's what they would say. I'm telling you, that's what they would say. That's what they called me. Like LBJ, that's exactly what my brother Rick would say all the time. So Israel loved Joseph more than all his children. But then it tells you why. Because he was the son of his old age. So in his later years, it was something about this boy that made him happy. Now, don't misunderstand me. He, he likely was quite pleased with the fact he was having sons. Sons are very important in the Middle East. But he was having children from the ladies he didn't necessarily love, you see, or enjoy or favor. Again, this is why I believe in Deuteronomy, the Lord later on says, thou shalt not multiply wives unto yourself. You increase the chances of sin of jealousy and trouble in your house. Now, the way we get around that today um, is, of course, in America, you can only have one spouse at a time. That's the way it's supposed to be. However, there have been people who we've discovered that had several spouses at the same time in different cities and ended up going to jail and whatever because of that. But then th there was the principle that if someone passed, uh, then a person would be remarried. You, but you look at some of the things that happen amongst young people today, and you find that he'll be a guy, he'll have five kids from five different ladies, you see? Our own modern forms of polygamy. The reason these... These narratives of the patriarchs are so important because they teach us about customs and things that we should do to preserve our integrity and our testimony. So I had mentioned earlier about 
Jacob's sons. The Bible gives us a lot about the sons, but very little about the daughters. We hear about and we read about Adam's sons, but we don't read a lot about the daughters. Daughters were protected. It was important for them to be preserved, as it is today, even in the Middle East, to hold on to those testimonies. Because once they lost it, it was very difficult for them to get married. I had a a, a man one time came to visit us in the Middle East at our home, and we were talking. And so I was listening to this gentleman talking to this Arab couple, and the Arab couple asking questions about his family. And so they asked what his mother did. And through the translator, he told them. Then they asked him what his father did. So he said in English, I never knew my father. My mother and father never married. I never knew him. But I listened as the translator when he told that. He didn't say that he never knew his father. He said something like, his father was a butcher. Something like that. And so later I asked, I said, why did you change what the man said? He said, because here in our culture, for a woman to say that she doesn't know who's the father of her child or for a child to say he doesn't know who his or her father is, is basically to say your mom's a whore. So there's no way I was going to say that. See? Well, that, that, that's important. In a world where relationships are important. So when, uh, back in 1994, when I was in Jordan, there was a young lady who was teaching math to one of her fellow students in Lebanon. And, you know, of course, a a guy and a gal are not allowed to be alone together in the Middle East. And they certainly can't show any signs of affection because if a young lady ever is caught holding somebody's hand or walking down the street and it, doing, cuddling and all of that, that pretty much ends the family's ability to get her married because she's tainted. So I'm, I'm looking at this newspaper, and on the front page, it's got a picture of a little girl. I say little girl, she's 14, 15. She's dead. There's blood around her, and women are dancing around her body. And so I'm reading this in Arabic, and it was talking about how she was sneaking away to a little restaurant trying to tutor a young man in math, which for us we think is a good thing. But for their culture, totally out of bounds. They were alone. She tutored him, and her brother found out and swore he wouldn't eat until he shed her blood for dishonoring the family, blaspheming the prophet Muhammad, and bringing dishonor upon the religion of Islam. This is why later, this whole issue with uh, Tamar uh, becomes very difficult with Jacob's daughter because they say you've made our name to stink in this region by what they did. So a lot of the cultural things when you look at in here are very important and, and, and we can learn a lot from them if we're paying attention. Israel loved Joseph, so in verse 4, his brothers saw that love and that favor, and they hated him. So even though Joseph was the object of his dad's affection, he wasn't the object of the affection of his siblings. Remember the story of Jephthah, the judge, son of a harlot? His brethren hated him. 
said, you're the son of a strange woman. Family relations can be difficult. They certainly can be made more difficult if, in fact, there's a little bit of favoritism that is extended towards one above the other. That can happen in church. You let one or two people seem like they're favored above other people, then it can produce hostility. I oftentimes use it in a joking fashion, but I have seen pastors have divided churches because they hold and kiss and embrace some babies more than they do other ones. And people get upset. I can't understand why he won't come over here and touch our baby and kiss our baby and hug our baby. See, It's a very carnal thing. But in verse 5 of Genesis 37, Joseph had a dream, and he told it to his brethren. How many of you know sometimes it's good to keep silence? You don't need to tell everything you dream about. Keep some things to yourself. But Joseph wasn't like that, remember? He was the one that would go to dad and say, look, I'm telling you, Simeon, that boy's in trouble. And Reuben's tiptoeing out of the tent in the middle of the night. And you better watch Issachar. You can't trust him. You can't trust him as far as you can throw him. And when he had this dream, he couldn't wait to tell them how, look, I'm the master around here. One day you guys are going to bow down. He said, let me tell you what the dream was. We were all out in the field binding sheaves. My sheaves stood upright and yours bowed down to me. How do you like them apples? (laughs) Of course, you know as well as I do, this was God. But if you're Joseph's brother, you're not thinking this is God. Because he's not using this in a godly way. He obviously is, is saying this in order to get at him, you know, just to kind of poke at him. You ever had somebody just kind of try to poke the bear every now and then, just see how they can get under the skin? His brethren asked him a question, are you going to reign over us? And they hated him the more and for his words and them dreams. So he dreamed again. He told his father in verse 10 and let his brethren know. And his father rebuked him. Jacob said, what is wrong with you? And of course, in that dream too, Jacob hears that he and the mom and the brethren are supposed to be submitted to him. The sun and the moon and the 11 stars made obeisance to me in verse 9. So verse 11, the brothers hated him, but Jacob just kind of kept his eyes open. Just kept his eyes open. It's interesting how God will move in the heart and the life of someone and other people won't recognize it. But the reason they won't recognize it is because of the, the, the relationship you've had with them in previous times. If you haven't, had the best relationships with certain people, then you turn around and say, this is what God is saying to me, they probably won't receive it. And they didn't receive it from him. The people that are closest to you oftentimes won't receive what you're saying. Isn't that what the scriptures say? The prophet is without honor, except in his own country there. And the scripture says that Jesus, in John chapter 1, he came unto his own, but his own didn't receive him. Now, although I'm not doing that teaching now, I went through Joseph's life one time and I found probably at least 77 different ways his life represents a a type of Christ, something connected with his ministry. But think of that. To be able 
to say that God is talking to you, but yet no one believes. Again, no, no Bible, no recording, just a person who had a dream. And I'm not sure Joseph even really had the interpretation other than to think that everyone is going to be submitted to who I am. 17-year-old boy God is talking to and showing some things. So in verse 12, the brethren went to feed the father's flock. And in verse 13, Israel said to Joseph, aren't your brethren feeding the flock? You go and check on them. Yeah. And he said, go and I pray, see whether it be well with the brethren and well with the flocks. Bring me word again. So he sent him out of the valley of Hebron and he came to Shechem. So he's interested in the welfare of the sons and the welfare of his livestock. I had an auntie one time who whenever my cousin and I would go and play basketball. If we had to walk a mile and a half away to play basketball, we'd leave at 7 or 8 a.m. in the morning. We still had to turn around and walk back and be there for lunch because she wanted to physically put her eyes on us. And then we had to turn around and walk all the way back to play the second half. And I always thought that was crazy. My mother would have never done that. She would have just said, Daryl, go play basketball all day long. But my auntie wanted to see us to make sure we were okay. So that's how Jacob was. He wanted to make sure that everything was going well the way it was supposed to. You do realize that you can't trust all teenagers, right? You do know that? There are some teenagers you can't trust. You ever come across people like that? Right. So there are a few that will say to you, uh, Mom, can I go to so-and-so's house? They're going to do this tomorrow night, and I just want to know if you'll let me hang out. No, I think it would be better for you if you just go and stay here. So six hours later, they'll say, well, Mom, is it okay if, if, if I go to the library? Oh, child, you want to go to the library and study? Sure. Go ahead and go to the library. And then about two hours later, then mom and dad start thinking, well, they asked, could they go here? Now they want to go to the library. Let's go down to the library and see if they're there. And then get to the library and there's nobody in the stacks. It's empty. And you realize you've been had. Okay. So this, this is the kind of circumstance that Mr. Jacob wants to avoid. After all, Joseph has continually brought their evil report. Yeah. I wish I would have known Lee back in high school. Yes, I wish I would have known Lee. I'm telling you, I'd have some stories to tell up here right now. Yeah, yeah. If, if I could have known Darren way back in the day, when he was even at college, who knows what stories I'd be able to tell you. All righty. So Joseph goes, he finds a man, and the man said, who are you looking for? What do you want? He said, I'm looking for my brothers. Verse 17, he said, they departed from here. I heard them say, let's go to Dothan. And Joseph went after his brothers and found them there. And when they saw him from afar, even before he came near to them, they said, our brother is coming. Let's have a feast. Not quite. Not quite. Little brother was showing up and they weren't happy to see him at all. They conspired against him to slay him. I could watch my older brothers when they had all their friends down at somebody's house and they were playing 
and then they'd see me come bounding down the sidewalk to come join in with what they're doing. And, of course, they didn't want a five- or six-year-old there when they were already 13, 14, and 15. Because what would I do? Put a damper on everything. At least they thought, you see. So here in verse verse 18, here the conspiracy begins. How do you get so many people to involve themselves in a conspiracy like this? You have to have a whole lot of people have the same feelings. You know, I've never had this kind of hatred for anybody in my family. Never. I've, I've, had, I've had moments where I did want to sell them. But I can't say I've had this kind of hatred where I wanted to see them, see them dead. Verse 19, they said one to another, behold, here comes the dreamer. Now come, let's slay him, cast him into some pit, and we'll say an evil beast hath devoured him. So now they're willing not only to murder him, but then lie about it. Can, can you see how from one generation to another we're having one problem after another? And it just seems like this kind of seed is multiplying despite the fact there's a covenant rooted in Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. Let's kill him. And then we'll say some beast devoured him. And then what about his dreams? Well, I can tell you what about his dreams. If the dreams come from God, the dreams are going to live on. And though somebody may try to take the life of a believer, if what they believe about Jesus Christ is true, and it is that he rose from the dead and he ascended to the right hand of the Father, that truth is not going to perish just because you bury him. Yeah. And your memory... It's going to live on continually as you walk with God. This is showing us how Jacob's family evolved, but it's also showing us how not to build a family, how not to be a family, but how to be a better lover of God and walk with him. So Reuben heard it, and he said, I want to deliver him out of their hand. We can't kill our brother. Now, this is Reuben who slept with daddy's wife. And he's got enough common sense to know this is going to be ugly if something happens to him and we're to blame and daddy finds out about it. So Reuben said, let's put him in a pit in the wilderness, but don't lay hands on him that we, he might rid him out of their hands to deliver him to his father. So he at least wanted to try to get Joseph back home. But it came to pass when Joseph came to his brother, they stripped Joseph of the coat that daddy had made of all the beautiful colors. And they took him and cast him into a pit. Now, I've, I've tried to imagine this scenario over and over again. Here you come walking up to your brothers. You're wearing a garment. Your dad took the time to make for you. And then you're expecting any kind of reception from your brothers but this one. And then when you get there, they take it off of you. And they're probably pummeling you and hitting you. And then they've already figured out what hole they want you in and put you in a pit so deep you can't get out of it. Yeah, because if he would have got out of it or could have got out of it, he would have. Obviously, it was a pit that he couldn't get out of. And the scripture says in verse 24, there was no water in it. So this might have been something similar to almost like an ancient well or something, a a reservoir, some kind of container of, of water. And then what did they do in verse 25? With him down there yelling and screaming, come on, guys, this was funny, but let me out of here. They sat down to eat. 
And they lifted up their eyes, and here comes a company of Ishmaelites, descendants of Ishmael's, cousins. Now, Joseph, I'm sure, is making noise because I would have been making noise. There's no way you're going to put me in a dark pit and then everybody sit up there and chew and I don't scream and yell and shout and everything else. But Joseph couldn't get out of there. But even in his helplessness, we know God never abandoned him. Even with all of his tattletaling, we know God never abandoned him because when he went down into Egypt, we run into this phrase at least two times and God was with him. See, God was with him. So, yeah, they, they sold him. Verse 26, Judah said to the brother, what profit is it if we slay our brother and conceal his blood? Let's at least make some money off him. So verse 27 says, we don't want to put our hands on him. He's our brother in our flesh, and his brethren were content. So they passed him off, see, to these Midianite merchant men and drew and lifted up Joseph out of the pit. Now understand, the Ishmaelites dwelt in that area of the Midianites. So here are the folks. They're taking Joseph up out of the pit. He might have been thinking he was about to get set free. He had no idea he was about to become a slave. It's got to be tough to not be able to say goodbye to somebody you love so much. Yeah. Never had a chance to say goodbye to dad. But the same way they lifted him up and separated him from somebody he, he loved for 20 pieces of silver. Don't forget how they treated Jesus. The devil got into Judas. And Judas ended up being the one that made the money off of him. And you can see verse 26, Judah is the one involved with this. And don't forget, Hebrew Judah, Greek Judas, same name, same word. Here it is taking place some 1,800 years or so uh, before the birth of Jesus Christ. And then it just seems like it just kind of reinvents itself during the time of Christ, this kind of betrayal. Reuben finally returns to the pit. Joseph wasn't there. He rent his clothes. He knew how broken daddy was going to be because this was Rachel's oldest boy. And he said, the child is not there and where on this earth can I go? I, I would not have wanted to be the one to have to go back and look daddy in the face and say, Joseph is dead. But this is what they had to do. The conspiracy. They lied about it. They took Joseph's coat, killed a goat, dipped his coat in the blood. Tell me this isn't wicked. How in the world can anybody with a good conscience even do this? Sent the coat of many colors, brought it to their father and said, this we have found no now, whether it be your son's coat or not. Now, they're saying to their dad, who had this coat made or made it, we found this. It's a lie. You look at this and you tell us if this is the one. They know he know he's, he, can, he can recognize this is the one. Why would they even bring this kind of heartache to this man? Gosh. And he knew it and said, it is my son's coat. And here they said, an evil beast has devoured him. Joseph is undoubtedly torn into pieces. 
So the, the last memory they gave to their dad regarding Joseph was that he likely was eaten alive, bones broken by a big, strong animal, and that's why that man rent his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes upon his loins, and he mourned. But I've wondered how it is that anybody who knows anything about God in a little way or who knows a lot about God in a big way can sit down at a table night after night, have breakfast, lunch, and dinner, knowing that you're sitting on a lie. Look your father in the face every day for the next couple of decades, and you're sitting on a lie, and you won't even tell him the truth. But there are a lot of people that withhold this kind of truth and won't tell it, and they'll go on with their life, and they can keep up the charade as though they haven't done anything wrong. But you do know that things that are done in the darkness, they will come to light. Yeah. And when that light begins to expose some things, sometimes the exposure in the end is even worse than the heartache that you endured in the beginning. See? To later on find out they all lied to you and have been lying for 22 years or better. So all the sons and his daughters, see, sons and daughters, we haven't heard anything about the daughters, just the lineage of the sons, rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. He said, I'll go down to my grave under my son in mourning, and thus his father wept for him. He probably wept every day. Same way you would weep for any child of yours that you lost or did lose. And when you have memories of that child, it still squeezes a tear out of your eyes because of the emotions attached to it, the memories attached to it. But yet the last verse, verse 36, says the Midianites sold him to Potiphar, the captain of the guard. Joseph is now a slave. Jacob believes he's dead and buried somewhere or tore up somewhere in the belly of some lion or some beast. All the sons know he's alive and on his way to Egypt. Never told dad. But one thing about God is that when the adversary comes against you to do things that are meant for your evil, God is able to preserve you and bless you and turn things around for your good. And if you've ever had anybody that's ever targeted you in your life because they wanted to undermine your authority or they wanted to get rid of you, and all you could do is just pass through that particular valley because the Lord didn't necessarily deliver you from it, you already understand that God can preserve you and bless you wherever you are. Doesn't matter where you go. If a multitude of people turn against you, keep walking with God and be faithful. Joseph wasn't a perfect man, but he wasn't like his brothers. And we know that because later on he forgave his brothers. There was something in his heart that, that made him different. And, and we can learn from this that other people's angry intentions toward us cannot and should not change how we respond and react to God. Trust God. And believe him. 
And even when you're not strong enough on your own to change your circumstances, because Joseph certainly couldn't do it, keep walking with God and just wait and see what the king is going to do. I have no doubt that the favor of God has been on all of us in different areas of our lives. It'll be there if we walk with him. Despite everything we've looked at with Jacob's sons, they still ended up being the ones who produced the tribes of Israel. And God still honored his promise to Abraham and blessed them. Let's pray. Father, thank you for being a covenant-keeping God. Thank you for honoring your word, being faithful to every promise that you made. Thank you for the blessings you provided on your people as they walked with you, oftentimes walking far from you. But, Lord, I pray you lead and guide each one of us in the mighty name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen, amen, amen.